Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Happy summer, Thinklings. This is the last episode of season two. And if you're a student, you left a week ago. You left us here to shrivel up and die alone. Whoa, that, oh, no, oh, come on now. Like, I'm already sad enough. Don't talk about our deaths, man. That was a metaphor for the way that we're feeling right now. Oh, like you were talking about my not. insides. Yeah, that's actually really true. Yeah. Dr. Little's just staring at us over there. Hasn't said anything. Oh, we got an eye roll. Did you see that? We had I, an eye roll. I didn't see it. Eye roll count is at one. I'll take your word for it. So this is the week after uh, finals? Yes. Graduation? We got in a DeLorean and went 88 <laughs> miles an hour. And we're looking, you know. You're not teaching right now. Is that correct? I'm teaching Baptist you are history teaching. right now. Okay, very good. Right this moment. Well, so it, I teach Hebrew exegesis three next week. Yeah, I'm teaching Baptist history this week. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're going to do so, in this episode. Remember that time when it got to Christmas and you guys all went home for Christmas break and we're like, here's a bunch of books you can read over Christmas or buy for your loved one as a Christmas present. We're going to do that too, only we're going to do it too again. Two again. That it made sense in my mind. It <laughs> I remember right. when I learned to talk the first We're gonna time. We're going to do too. that again. We're going to do that it's again. It's hard. It takes a couple of years. See, I think the T-O-O, I thought of like also, and also is kind of like again, maybe. But anyway, we're going to do it again. And again is the root to get them. Okay, anyway, sorry, I'm done. <clears throat> and uh, only this time it's not Christmas. It's summer. So we're going to talk about a bunch of books that you can read over the summer. There are very, very loose ties between all these books, but... You might find one or two from this list that you really enjoy. And before we do that, we're going to talk about, uh, I think we promised a week ago that uh, we would say what our summer plans are. Yep. Oh, because yes. we've had a bunch of people ask us and say, hey, uh, what are you going to do for the Thinklings podcast over the summer? And uh, here's what we're going to do. We are going to go to halftime. So currently during the semester, we have done one every week. We're going to do one every other week, which I think comes out to about like six episodes. And then the seventh would be the start of season three. Dun, dun, dun. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Something like that. So hold on. If, if the summer is not season two and it's not season three, what are we calling it? The abyss. The, oh, wow. You are like, <laughs> you're in a deep, dark hole or something. In the abyss. We're dying. We're in the abyss. I believe the term I used was shriveling up. This is true. This is true. <clears throat> anyway, welcome to the Thinklings Summer Reading Spectacular. Welcome to the abyss. Welcome to the abyss. <laughs> is that going to be the title of the... <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not. We're not it's going to It's going to be. I'll put it in parentheses. It'll be like, Summer Reading Spectacular. Parentheses. Welcome <laughs> to the abyss. Okay, well, let me start off. I'll start us with the first summer read, which I think we talked about this a couple of months ago, but I have some information hot off the press. And by hot off the press, I mean I talked to Dr. Paul Hartog at church on Sunday, and uh, he told me that uh, the revisions of his book are finished, and it will not be sent back to him anymore for any changes. There's no more anything happening. So his book, Calvin... On the Death of Christ should be coming out real soon, like this summer. Mm. And uh, Dr. Little, why don't you tell the, 
the good folks at the Thinklings podcast where they could buy this book. Uh, you can go to fbbcbooks.com. That's our faith bookstore website. Just search for Calvin and Hartog, and it'll come up there. The retail of this price of the book hasn't been established yet. I've been told it's going to be at least $26. So we have it discounted to $20. You're not going to find it on Amazon or anywhere yet, unless something happens within one week, like the re- recording of this and next week when it actually goes live. But um, you can pick it up uh, through our campus bookstore. And that helps support uh, Dr. Paul as well, because we're buying them off of him. That is a special fbbcbooks.com discount that you will not get anywhere else. And you can't, you can't even pre-order this book anywhere else. You can only get it at FBBC Books. So if you want to learn about Calvin from Dr. Paul, happy summer. Here you go. I'm really excited about this book. After the Q&A this spring... And all the stuff that you shared, I'm really interested to read it. It sounds very intriguing and very well-researched, so I can't wait. Yes, and that is, uh, I plan to, I'm pretty sure I pre-ordered it after the seminary q Yes, you did. I took and, your payment. <laughs> I couldn't remember <laughs> if I paid for it, but uh, Tim remember He doesn't, Tim never forgets a book sale. Let me tell no, you. No, he doesn't. So I plan to read it when it comes out over the summer. So that's my first book. All right, so I'm going to go with the buffet theme again because I love buffets. Actually, maybe we'll just make it a regular meal. So you go to a restaurant, you sit down, and what's the first thing you order? You order appetizer. And sometimes you get like cheese sticks, and they're good. Sometimes you get chicken wings, they're good. But really, if you can get a sampler platter, that's like the best. So the first book I'm going to recommend is a sampler platter book. It's called God in the Dock. God in the Dock by, I know, C.S. Lewis. And... We were not supposed to mention him <gasps> Sorry, for okay. a full episode. I'm, Too I, bad. Keep going. Let's maybe go. I go ba- maybe I wait, go wait, back to Tim. Wait, wait. Tim says it's okay. If Tim says it's okay. okay Tim, Tim says it's okay. I, 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 start I, over. I, I, didn't make that, I didn't make that promise. Someone I else made did. That promise. So I'm okay. So what this is, is this book is a summary of his essays. So what's really intriguing is um, a lot of guys write books, like full-length books, monographs, or they write you know trilogies and whatnot. And Lewis wrote those, but he actually wrote a number of short essays, just three or four pages, and he would put them in various periodicals. And so this book is a whole pile of his essays. And so what you, the good thing about this is you can pick it up and you can just read an essay or two. And so when it says dock, it's not like a dock um, that you put a boat on. It's like the defendant's place where they sit, put a boat next to, sorry, tie a boat to. Does that mean boat. like the cloud, like the Google Doc? Well, yeah. the Google Doc also, yes. Oh, did we get an eye roll there? I think yeah. that's too. I'm going to count an, that as two. It was like an too. eye grunt. An eye, I didn't know eyes could grunt. I know eye, eyelids can test, but I didn't know that. So it's like uh, the defendant. Okay, so what he's saying is this is God on defense. And what he, there's a, a, a flow to it where he tries to defend God and defend Christianity loosely, and it's a bunch of essays that approach that. So it's overall just really intriguing. There's a couple of ones that are worth mentioning. So if you get the book, um, he has an essay called On the Reading of Old Books, and it's glorious. He talks about why you need to read old books and why it's helpful. There's a really well-known essay called Meditation in a Tool Shed, where he sees, he goes into a tool shed, it's very dark, and there's this hole in the roof, and he sees a bit of light go through, and you can see dust kind of floating. And if you look past, like through the light, you kind of see things, but then if you go and look along it, you see something totally different. And he uses that as a, like a metaphor for life that's very helpful. And then he, the, another one that's maybe worth pointing out is called First Things and Second Things. And First Things and Second Things is an essay saying 
there are things in life that are the most important, and then there are things that follow from gaining those most important things. But often we attend to those secondary things, and by doing that, you lose both. And so this is basically kind of like when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. If you're seeking those things, you don't get the kingdom of God, and you don't get the things. But when you seek after God, you get both. So he says, to sacrifice the greater good for the less than is not to get the lesser good after all. This is surprising folly. Oops, that's the wrong quote. Sorry, hold on. He says, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. He ends the essay by asking this question. So what then is the first thing? The only reply I can offer here is that if we don't know what the first thing is, then the first and only practical thing we ought to do is to set set about finding out. So it's a really good, I enjoy it. And if you want like a taste of Lewis, you can kind of bounce around in the book and it's pretty good. So I would recommend it. My uh, first book is one I'm planning on reading this summer. It's Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham Jr. The subtitle is The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. Um, if you're following um, what modern evangelicalism and the debates within the movement, one of the big ones is critical race theory and intersectionality uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention. This is um, making a lot of waves. Vody Bauckham is a Southern Baptist and... Uh, he, um, in, in the beginning of the book, he starts out even with like a definition of what critical race theory is and where it came from, uh, which in itself was very helpful. Uh, he also explains how the movement itself is very difficult to define. Um, so uh, I would strongly recommend reading this book and being conversant with this topic. Uh, critical race theory, social justice, what are these terms? What do they mean? Everybody seems to define them in whatever way that they desire. So that everybody is a social justice warrior, but at the same time, it means different things to all of these different people. So I would uh, recommend uh, reading this title. That's about all I'm going to say on it at this point. I did write an article, Social Justice in the Kingdom of God. It was published, uh, It was released last summer. And so I am probably going to find Bauckham's book very, I'm going to be find it very agreeable. Um, I agree with him. Uh, you can read my article uh, on it as well, but um, Bauckham's is going to be more, book will be more accessible. We are also going to be featuring this book uh, on sale 25% off at the Faith Bookstore for the month of, of May. Another deal at the bookstore. Too bad all the students are going to be gone. They can't come in and uh, buy it from you. I'll email them before they leave. <laughs> <laughs> my next book is, uh, it's actually a book, I think I read this, my freshman year of college, I think it was part of the curriculum for uh, Dr. Newman's, it was either Christian Experience or The Family. I think it was Christian Experience. The title is, When People Are Big and God is Small, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man by Ed Welch. And it is a great book about understanding why you do the things you do, like how you're motivated by what other people think about you. And, uh, how how when you are so concerned about how other people are viewing you that you're changing your own actions, they're actually controlling you. It's like you live your whole life controlled by the impulses or perceived impulses of other people. And uh, kind of the big theological point is that when you're fearing people, you're not fearing, fearing God. And you're not loving Him. And uh, your whole life is a construct of trying to get from other people what you want. And uh, it's, it's, it's a really challenging, convicting book, 
because you will realize how your life is so woven into uh, what you expect of other people uh, when you interact with them. And so I've, I've read it a couple of times and every time it really challenges me. So I, I've kind of put this as, you know, we have a lot of thinking, like heavy thinking type of books. And this, this is not going to be a deep thinking book, but it's going to be a deep challenge book. Because if you read it honestly, you're going to realize that this is you. And so, uh, yeah, when people are big and God is small, it's a great book. It'll be a spiritual challenge for you over the summer. I love that book. Yeah, me too. So when I came to faith, I was like, I didn't understand like self-esteem was a problem. And I, I, I thought you were supposed to get self-esteem and stuff. And so when I showed up and found out, oh, the Bible kind of is not for that, I didn't really understand how that all worked. And that book was really helpful to me. So the other thing is I have a signed copy. Legitimately. Go you. Like I was out, literally got a signed copy from him. By Ed Welch. By Ed Welch. That's right. It's also a required textbook for, I think, psychology and counseling or something. So if you read it, well, maybe it won't count for your reading. But if anything else, it'll help you to read through it quicker for the assignment. Yeah, and it's it's my favorite kind of book is it's short, quick chapters. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to like stay um, constant in thought for like 30 or 40 pages. It's like seven, eight pages a, a chapter. But if you really read the discussion and thought questions and, and apply it to yourself, it's you can't miss it. Like you can't miss how it's affecting you. It's also hard to go. Those I feel like to me, those books are hard to read fast if you're taking it seriously. So like there's a number of books where I try to blow through them and it's, you're right. It's not like uh, academic intellectual thinking, but it's still soul renewing the mind thinking and man, it's hard. And so you sometimes you go three pages and you got to put the thing down and think, cause it's, it's just approaching your, your heart so clearly your internal person that you need time to process and need time to let yeah, the spirit you, work. You have to it's read really it good. at a speed where you can let it affect you. But anyway, Let's keep going. So the next book I'm going to offer, so you have your sampler platter, then you're going to eat something. And so this is a biography, and it's called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God. And a broken, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. And so this book, I got it, I can't remember when I got it, but I read it last. I'm going to talk about it in the fall. It's really fascinating. But it's exactly what it says. So it's a story of a mom, a, a mom and a dad, and then a son. And the son comes out as homosexual to the parents, and the parents uh, go through this very difficult time. And they're, they're the the mom gets well. Anyways, there's some there's a transformational thing that happens to mom at the beginning, and then she's now a Christian, and so she approaches the whole thing from the Christian worldview. And the son isn't the whole time. Uh, but or and he like approaches his life from his own angle, and it's really intriguing. It's not, um, it's not exegetical. It's just a biography. But what's fascinating about it is every other chapter is written by the mom and then the son and then the mom and then the son and the mom and they tell the same story though. So chapter one is the son, I think, and then chapter two is the mom's reaction to the son. Chapter three is what the son did next, and so it's really intriguing. They tell this story together but separately. In a really neat way. And there's just a couple of really good things uh, that he points out here. I'm not going to read a ton of quotes. But at one point, he's thinking about wanting 
God to restore him. And he says, the thought that God could restore me and bring me back from my captivity resonated deep within my spirit. At this point, the world would be happy for me to be locked away for good. And yet God was saying something completely different. He wanted to be part of my life, no matter who or what I was or what I had done, excuse me, who or what I, who I was or what I had done. He didn't see me as a criminal. He didn't see me as a felon. He didn't see me as a number, but rather he saw me and saw hope. And he goes on to say some more things. And what I thought was interesting there is that he is interested in God because he has the need to have hope, not on the account of being given evidence of God's existence. So it's bypassed this, does God exist? It's this yearning for a God who can help him and save him. And so he talks a lot about um, belief in God and what it ma- means to believe in God and what you do in that situation. So I thought it was really fascinating. And then also uh, it's eye-opening he kind of has like a major drug scene in his life, and it's just very eye-opening. So Christopher Ewan, um, Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's uh, Search for Hope, I think. Yeah, that's one that's on my to-read list. Dr. Newman recommended it uh, quite a while ago, and we promoted it in the bookstore. But um, yeah, that's a good one. My next book actually coincides quite well with that one. I have Finally Free by Heath Lambert. I have sold lots of these in the bookstore. Our student body is pretty familiar with this title. I would strongly recommend it. Uh, the subtitle is Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace. Uh, there are many that are enslaved to pornography and uh, sexual sin. Lambert correctly identifies the issue. The issue is not pornography. The issue is that you want pornography. You want to look at it. Um, and this is the way that it is with every um, desire every addiction we always look at the problem as the the at the problem but the problem isn't the problem the problem is the desire for it uh, so whether it's sexual or substance abuse or whatever it is um, that's the real issue so I really and I strongly recommend this title I have read it multiple times with different young men some struggling with pornography some not but um, it still would equips them to just think through, uh, sanctification, and even giving them the tools for how to help others to be free from addiction. So, Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Okay. The time is up. You don't know what time it is, do you, Dr. Little? The 1130 minute of the last episode, I said I would not talk about C.S. Lewis for one episode. And if you count the last half of that episode and the first half of this episode, I have gone one episode without talking about C.S. Lewis. You ready for summer book number three, which is actually summer book number one? He's already yawning. How about like the quintessential C.S. Lewis book where winter becomes summer? It's not even here, Dr. Little. You're not going to see it on the table. I didn't bring it. I was hiding it from you. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's the best summer read because it's winter and it becomes summer. (laughs) Aslan brings summer Mm. to Narnia. Yes. But okay, on a serious note. (laughs) You just got your third eye roll. I'm keeping track. Amen. So at this point, (laughs) if you are an active listener of this podcast and you have never read the Chronicles of Narnia, you need to. Oh, yeah. They're so good. I I, I wouldn't even say that they're so good. I do think for who C.S. Lewis is, uh, to bridge into his writings, uh, and I'm actually going to talk about some other books about him on the next cycle around the table, but to realize how he smuggles theology. It's actually a term that this other guy uses. 
how he smuggles theology into his fiction in a really masterful way. Like you learn so much more than a fiction story. It's not just a lion and some kids and, and a witch. Like there's a lot going on there that's worth your time on an intellectual level. And so if you do listen to this podcast and you have heard us talk about Lewis and you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, it's time. Go buy it and read it this summer. And there's a student, I won't name names, but uh, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I talked about this with Joe. And he, I sent him, I think it was over Christmas, I sent him a box set of Lord of the Rings, and he loves them. Hmm. He had never read them. And uh, I still don't think he's done. So, Joe, if you're listening to this, hmm. finish them. Hmm. But he loves them, and th- rightfully so. And so if you've never read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it is a quick read. You could probably do it in a day, if not two. It's short, it's sweet, but it's very valuable. So book number three, Yeah, and I, C.S. Lewis. And I completely agree with you. If you haven't read it, pick it up. And for about the fifth time on this fa- podcast, we're recommending it again. <laughs> read the Chronicles of Narnia. So I think that's like a, what was that, like a satirical snarky comment we got to add? So this is, we got three eye rolls and a and a really nice... I'm going for records. You're going <laughs> Cap in season two with a bang. Okay. Okay, so just like if you get the sampler platter at the beginning of your meal, and then you get, like, something tasty, here comes the meat, okay, like the steak or whatever. So uh, there's a – so I, I teach a class where we talk about uh, Catholic theology, and, oh, man, every time my Kindle doesn't work, I know Dr. Little is, oh. like, so happy. Yep, very happy. So this uh, book is called Roman Catholic Theology and Practice and Evangelical Assessment by Greg Allison. And so if you would like to study Roman Catholic theology, Allison is a historian. He has a couple of historical theology books and a number of other books. Uh, this I've used this to prepare some lectures that I've done in some classes. Um, if you're thinking of an, on a systematic level, it is helpful to be able to distinguish between Catholic doctrine and evangelical Protestant and or separatist, whatever you want to call it, doctrine, the non-Catholic doctrines. And so what he does, he does a good job of walking through and saying, what does Catholic theology teach? He's very conversant with the catechism. And then he says, here's an evangelical assessment. When he says evangelical, it's basically an Orthodox Protestant viewpoint. And it's really, it's this is, again, this is like a meat book. Okay, this is not going to be an easy read. You're going to go through this, but it's also, it's not written as a really academic tome either. So I think you could, you could get through this and really benefit. And part of why I bring this up is sometimes you'll have a friend who's a Catholic and you'll wonder like, what do they believe? And if you've never either come out of Catholicism or you don't know anyone, um, first of all, I just say get together with them and ask them. But if you want to read a book, this would be a good one. So Roman Catholic Theology and Evangelical Assessment by Greg Allison. I grew up a Catholic. Yeah, you. I would be interested in your take on that book. I haven't read it, so I can't tell you yet. Well, I know, but being a former Catholic, so <laughs> when you grew up Catholic, by the way, like, like, are you were you a Christer, a Christmas Easter Catholic, or were you like <laughs> a more regular one? Depends on the time frame. Early okay. on, very, very uh, consistent. Like devout, even. Uh, I never went through confirmation, but up until then, we were. Okay. Uh, mass on Saturday and catechism on the midweek. Okay. All so right. I, I did a lot. Of, I, I remember, I don't know why God lets you remember the things you remember, but I clearly remember their teaching on the Eucharist. Really? Uh, at multiple age levels. Like when they first told you about it and then like before getting ready for first communion. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can remember a lot of those things. Um, 
that'd be fascinating. Just since you grew up with that, if you read something like that, I'd be, I'd it'd be an interesting take. So I would, I would say that if th- this would be true of any denomination, so this isn't picking on the Catholics, but any denomination where you have unredeemed children, uh, they're not going to get what you're trying to teach them. Yeah, and, and the that's point, a good point, the point being that, uh, how far theologically people would go at a catechism, we were hopeless anyway. It's like we're depraved and we didn't care. You know, they mm-hmm. you could have had the best teacher in that catechism in the world, but we we weren't going to understand it. I mean, what what shot did we have? Um, but it is you know maybe another time. But I do know there were like landmark moments as a mm-hmm. child where I did understand what they were telling me, and that bore itself out in the way I thought about my own redemption. Wow. As an unredeemed person. Okay. Um, for example, I, I can remember thinking clearly, okay, I've confessed to my priest. If I don't sin for the rest of my life, I will go to heaven. I can remember thinking that vividly. Hmm. Hmm. And obviously that is not what scripture teaches. Mm-hmm. So, um, but anyway, for another time. Okay. Yeah. Another time. My third book is Pale Rider. The Spanish Flu of 1918 and How It Changed the World by Laura Spinney. Uh, So that title again is Pale, like pale writer, like white. So they're building off of Revelation chapter 6 where you have the four horsemen and the fourth horse, fourth horses, not four horsemen, uh, the four horses. The fourth horse is the pale horse, um, which is the the, uh, sickness horse. So uh, picking up on the Spanish flu and disease, this book was written before the COVID pandemic of 2020. So it is um, has a perspective um, that predates that tragedy. Uh, so that was one thing that I appreciated about it. Plus, this book was a gift to me from Pastor Ben Hartwig. Thank you, Pastor Hartwig. Uh, so uh, that was nice of him. But... Um, Seriously, this book was fascinating just because um, even the naming of COVID and how it was called COVID-19, the Spanish flu was originally called Disease 11, and then it was uh, eventually named Spanish flu. I didn't know this, but the name Spanish flu, it didn't originate in Spain. It likely originated in the trenches of World War One, but its uh, severity and what it was was downplayed by the Western powers. And then there was an outbreak in Spain and Spain was neutral. So the journalists actually published on it. So that's why it seems to have originated in Spain, but it wasn't, it didn't really originate in Spain. Uh, It's just, that's where it was written about freely. So that that was kind of an interesting concept and an interesting um, development, just the the difficulty in naming some of these viruses. And there were several uh, points in this book that were just really fascinating. I haven't made it that way that far through it. I'm at about page 75, but um, uh, yeah, on the thinkling's goodness scale, I'd probably put this at like a three. I think you'd benefit from it. It is a secular title, so I don't know exactly everything that she's going to say in this book. But um, having gone through a pandemic and a lot of misinformation that has uh, circulated on social media, this book helped helped uh, dispel some of that for me. Okay, for the sake of time, I'm going to combine my fourth and fifth book because they're by the same author. And uh, Tim, they're both about C.S. Lewis. So happy summer. Woo-hoo. So the first one is Planets in Peril, a critical study of C.S. Lewis' Ransom Trilogy or the Space Trilogy. 
And the other one is C.S. Lewis Journey of Faith. Um, oh, that's the subheading. I think the main heading is The Most Reluctant Convert. And they're both by Dr. David Downing. And uh, if you have not heard of David Downing, he is the co-director with his wife, Crystal Downing, the co-director of the Wade Center at Wheaton College in Illinois, mm. which is a major hub of a lot of Lewis's own writings. Like they have a lot of Lewis, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Memorabilia. Memorabilia or like primary documents. Like they mm. own a lot of his own like scribbles. Don't they, they have his manuscripts? Like, they have his desk. Yeah, they have the Green Book from the Abolition of Man. Yeah, in the library. It's, oh. And so, I mean, I think I'd be accurate to say it's like the largest compilation of Lewisy things in the United States. We need to go sometime, take a field trip. I know that would be such an awesome thinking trip. That would be fantastic. And uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot of great uh, Dr. Downing stuff out there. There's some YouTube videos, things like that. By the way, they have a podcast, the Wade Center podcast. They do. And uh, they've been going through, I think, the Chronicles of Narnia recently. In fact, uh, Till We Have Faces is the next Lewis book I want to read. And they had a like a synopsis of it um, on the podcast, on their podcast. And I didn't understand like anything. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Downing, um, the, the two books. So the first one, The Most Reluctant Convert, is just a story of Lewis coming to faith. And I think it is always, I think it's good for believers who have been believers for a while to try to remember what it was like to not be a believer Mm. and to try to think about what you thought about before you knew what was true. And so one of the ways you can do that is reading a biography or autobiography of someone sharing their testimony. There it is. Every single episode. I think it's... Which is funny because I've gotten like five text messages while we've been recording and none of them have dinged. I don't know why that one did. But anyway, so The Most Reluctant Convert, you can read about C.S. Lewis' Journey to Faith. If you haven't already listened or read a Lewis biography, uh, this one would be very tailored to him coming to faith. And uh, it's very well written. The other one is uh, Planets in Peril. And as it says, a critical study of C.S. Lewis' Ransom Trilogy and what Dr. Downing does is he tries to kind of peel the layers away of that fiction and try to understand what kind of goes behind it in Lewis's mind. And uh, kind of my big takeaway on that one is how heavily Lewis was influenced by medieval theology. And, and in fact, how he, Lewis, kind of disdained how people tried to categorize his history of thought. Like, oh, you had like the medieval period and the Renaissance period and you have the modern period. He's like, that's not how it worked. Like, it wasn't like there was this shift and then now people all thought this new way. It was much more, uh, it wasn't as static as that. And, and But Lewis was a very big fan of the medieval way of thinking and the medieval kind of paradise. And he loved medieval literature. And so uh, if you like the Space Trilogy or Ransom Trilogy, if you have read that and enjoy it, you will love Planets in Peril because it gives you another lens to kind of interpret what's going on. What if and we didn't like the Ransom Trilogy? If you didn't like the Ransom Trilogy, uh, you need to try again. Yes. Because you're wrong. Go back to, the, you know, yes. <laughs> Maybe right. if I read a book about it. You know what I would it. say to that? I'd say, hey, now. <laughs> two, two points. Especially, yeah. Next. Actually, okay, there's actually a really interesting point about how all of the terminology hey, that he uses so in, um, in Malacandra, all those words, mm-hmm. like, Prasa, mm-hmm. now all of that is built off of Norse mythology. Like he didn't oh. come up with that language; he built it off of like 
Norwegian myth. Or not Norwegian, that's not the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Norse, Norse myth. Like, okay. That's where he got the language base for uh, Malachandrian language. And all makes sense now. The, the old solar language. <laughs> he's like mocking you. Yeah. He got three eye rolls, a salty comment, and now he's mocking but you. But hey, let us not forget last episode where Tim admitted... You were right. That I was right. So. He was wrong. That was pretty good. But yeah, okay. So Dr. David Downing, a lot of great stuff there. My next book's Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosario Butterfield. So picking off with uh, the pale writer and the end of the pandemic, um, I would encourage you to invite somebody over to your house uh, this summer. Be hospitable to your neighbors. If there's somebody, a neighbor that you don't like, be extra gracious and loving to them. I think the Bible had something to say about that. <clears throat> so um, the gospel comes with a house key. Um, and this is an excellent read. I would strongly recommend it. She gives you a lot of practical tips on how you can um, love others and use what God's given you to love others. I've used it as required reading for my discipleship class and uh, tried to uh, emphasize with with um, the students the the need for them to be more personal in their evangelism and discipleship. So, Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Strongly recommend it. I would put it high on the Thinkling's Goodness scale, like a nine. Yeah, I was actually in... Was that the first class, the first discipleship in the local church class? Yes. Yeah, it was very good. And uh, we met... Wait a minute. Didn't you meet in your house because of someone at Wheaton? Was it Downing that did this? So um, I, w- I had that class in my house on Thursday nights, and the purpose for that was twofold. Uh, I forget the author. It, I don't know if it was... It was someone at Wheaton, wasn't it? It was at Wheaton, but a professor had a class in his house, um, and so that was where I, I got that idea from. Well, I had the idea already, but I didn't think it was practical or possible. And then when I heard that another professor had done it, then I threw it out there to Dr. Doug and, um, he agreed. And plus I was trying to live out essentially the principle of this book and that, uh, discipleship and relationship, um, is, is how the gospel is, uh, is meant to be promoted and the and the main people I don't know about the main people but at least the people whom God has placed directly around you uh, should be a focus of your um, uh, hospitality and love yeah I can actually remember a quote from that book that I use and have used in ministry since I've read it and it's I'm not going to give away the details of the story but uh Mrs. Butterfield is talking, not to be confused with Buttersworth. Um, <laughs> she is talking about uh, someone that she'd ministered to in her house and uh, very broken in sin and uh, is a very emotional, painful experience that she is uh, counseling uh, another woman. And the phrase is, uh, I know Jesus would never treat you that way. And how to, how do you sympathize with someone who's feeling pain uh, and, and try to point them to Christ. And that, that I've used that phrase from that book multiple times. Like, I know that I, that what happened to you is wrong and Jesus would never do that to you. And, uh, and I found that to be an effective way of trying to steer someone in their pain to Christ, which is okay. Yes. What happened to you uh, is not good. And Christ does not treat us that way. And so I, I had a big takeaway from that book. I actually have a, um, an, a, 
an article on my coffee table at home, which is like an expose on Butterfield. So like when people come to my house, they see this magazine about being hospitable and they like open it and like, and hopefully it's like, Oh yeah, that's what you're doing. Um, but anyway, so, uh, okay. This is the end of season two. And we don't know what the summer episodes are. They're like the abyss hiding out there in the middle of nowhere. Mm, brother. So what did we learn in season two? What did we learn about life and podcasting and books and business? Any closing thoughts on season two? I learned a lot. Uh, for example, I learned that doing a three podcast episode on Abolition of Man was way more work than I anticipated. And I'm not so excited about doing a book like that again. <laughs> Uh, and then with, uh, all of the interviews, I really liked the interviews, but I thought that was a little too much. Um, I like our regular scheme of doing some books and business and a, um, main content piece or whatever, uh, which is normally what we do, but it was really great having the, uh, visitors, uh, this season on. I really appreciated, uh, Dr. Bowder's pre-modern, modern, post-modern discussion. I really appreciated Dr. Doug and his uh, conversation on hermeneutics. And then uh, Dr. Newman, we just laughed a ton on that episode. It was a lot of fun, uh, great counseling advice. And so uh, it was a great year. And listener, just thanks a lot for tuning in, listening. And I pray that God's used this podcast for his glory and your sanctification in in your life. Yeah, I'll say, I think thinking back on the season it's a lot of work to podcast, but there's a lot of things in life that are a lot of work, but that's worth it. And I think that Charlie had said something a long time ago that uh, we need to love what we're doing and then share that. And I think that I've, I think I've enjoyed how it's gone. If for no other reason that I think I've benefited from doing it and being continuous at it. So I think what I would say is listener, if there's something that you have that you think the Lord would want you to do, but it's going to take a lot of work. There is benefit in committing to it. And even if it's hard and putting the time into it and praying about it and trying to do it well for the Lord that I think in the long run, um, even if it doesn't succeed, you're honoring God by what you, with what you do. And I think that alone is worth it. I kind of think of like, I've like when I asked Dr. Bowder, like, how do you write? And he's like, you just got to do it. And I asked and my wife used to be a runner and like, how do you, do, you just got to do it. And so I think sometimes like when you serve the Lord, you got to, you got to live in the spirit. You got to not live in the flesh, but I think it's sometimes you just got to do it. And I think that's, this has been kind of good, but kind of grueling, but good. So it was good. I learned that when we have episodes that are really long and you have to cut them in the middle, that the best <laughs> way to do that is to rip the listener's heart out and stomp on it <laughs> oh, with no word. warning <laughs> and then turn off the notifications to the email. <laughs> my mom is still mad at you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, we have loved doing this. It's been a lot of fun. We do hope that you will find something here that helps you in your walk of faith, in your uh, journey to read more, to think better. And uh, we'll be back, uh, like we said earlier, in a couple of weeks with our first spectacular summer episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, 
thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.